0: Uh, thank you for joining today for our talk about uh, how to effectively plan for disaster recovery on the cloud. My name is David Gildee. I am VP of product at Druva for Cloud Ranger. Uh, it's fantastic to be here. It's my first time speaking at reInvent, but I've been here for a lot of years, and it's it's an amazing conference. And when you see what Amazon are doing all the time, I just got a notification. I don't know if you saw it. They've announced a ground station, which is to help you communicate with satellites. You know, so... These are kind of things that they're announcing. It's, a, it's amazing technology, but it really is, it's fantastic to be here and to get the opportunity to speak with you. Uh, on stage, I have Lewis. Uh, Lewis, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey,
1: good up? afternoon, everybody. Thank you for taking time out and joining us today in this session. I know everybody's probably really hungry and it's lunchtime, so we do appreciate you coming. My name is Lewis Franklin. I'm a cloud engineer for Zebra Technologies.
0: Excellent, Thank, thanks, Lewis. So, uh, just to give, uh, to get a sense for you know, our conversation today, can we get a quick show of hands of you know, people who are, running, who are doing disaster recovery on AWS at the moment? Okay, so a good portion. Uh, it's something that's getting a lot, more, uh, a lot more interest and we're certainly finding as companies are on that cloud journey and they've made the start and now they're doing far more work in the cloud, disaster recovery is becoming hugely important. So today what we're gonna to go to is just give you an introduction to uh, both Zebra and to uh, Druva talk about the kind of things that we do. Uh, in particular, how with Druva, how we help companies manage their disaster recovery on the cloud. And then we're gonna get into the need for disaster recovery. You know, what are the business drivers? Uh, what are the effects of it? How you need to plan for it? And, and some steps that you should go through. And then Lewis is going to talk about uh, Zebra's data protection challenges and, and the issues that they had as they moved to the cloud and how they're managing their, their data protection. And then finally, we're gonna just wrap up talking about the Druva Cloud Ranger solution and how it helps companies manage disaster recovery in the cloud, the kind of things you need to do, how it works, and how we try to make it really simple uh, to to do some pretty complex stuff uh, in your disaster recovery environments. So just very quickly, uh, a bit of background on Cloud Ranger. We were founded in Ireland, uh, as you can probably tell by my accent, I'm I'm not from around here. Uh, I do speak quite fast, by the way, as well, which is an Irish thing, so uh, if you have trouble understanding me, I'll, I'll try and slow down, but this is on YouTube, so you can watch it back in, in slow motion later on. <laughs> so we, we help you know, nearly 400 customers globally manage their disaster recovery, uh, particularly for, we have some, some really substantial customers like the Lexus like of Zebra, who are doing some really interesting things, uh, Vanderbilt University, uh, Oxfam, and so on. And we're 100% uh, as a service. You know, we're, we're built on Amazon, architected from the ground up, Uh, as serverless technology. And and because of that, we get the benefits of Amazon, right? So, yeah, Amazon is constantly adding all the time. You know, there's more announcements for for the likes of Lambda. All those things benefit us. Therefore, they benefit our customers pretty much immediately. And, uh, you know, we have some some of our biggest customers creating 4,000 plus snapshots a day. And, And this gets really complex. When you're doing this globally, when you have teams of 10 or 15 people, and all these teams spread out around the world, trying to manage you know, every Amazon region, it becomes very complex. So what we do is we help them manage that at scale, make sure they're resilient, reliable, and have everything that they need to uh, be able to recover from disaster in case it happens. Uh, We were acquired by Druva uh, in June of this year. And that really, you know, it it really helped round off Druva's uh, offering, which is, as it is, an industry-leading backup and disaster recovery platform uh, that, that focuses on data management. So whether you're on on-premise with servers, whether it's endpoints or SaaS applications, and now with Amazon workloads, Juva, with the suite of products, can help you manage all of those. The challenge at the moment that companies are having is that their data is everywhere, and you probably re- realize this as well. You know, you're, it's, it's constantly expanding. Everyone's getting more and more data. They're storing it in more places, so whether it's uh, cell phones, laptops, servers, um, you know, backup tapes, wherever it is, it, it gets incredibly difficult to, to manage all of that. And what Druva does is basically gather all this in one place for you, provide a cloud-first approach to give you data protection, data governance, and data intelligence across all of your data. And that's, that's incredibly powerful, and it is a cloud-first approach, so it's, it's, it's industry-leading. Uh, Druva currently manages uh, backup and disaster recovery and data protection for 4,000 enterprise customers that's over 100 petabytes of data, and that, that's growing consistently and very fast. And we also help uh, you know, over 10% now of the Fortune 500 companies. Our approach to doing this is what we call the Druva Cloud Platform, and that is where we unite all of the Druva products into one place. And this gets incredibly powerful because you know, if you're managing backup and disaster recovery and endpoints, or uh, you know, uh, the example Salesforce, for example, or Office 365, or your uh, Phoenix, which manages servers, and then Cloud engine for workloads. So when you unite all this in one place, you get data governance, you get authentication, you get this common suite of uh, tools across all of your, um, basically, all of your data sources. You get your data protection and management, and you get one place to view all this. So for large organizations, it's incredibly powerful. I wanna chat a bit about Zebra.
1: Thank you. So Zebra was founded in 1969 We're located uh, out of Lincolnshire, Illinois. We employ roughly 7,000 people and 115 offices in over 50 countries. We're the world's largest provider of barcode scanners, mobile printing devices. Uh, Our software and solutions are used to connect assets with people, empowering businesses to make real-time decisions. So real quick, just how many people in here have heard of Zebra before? All right, so a good amount. So for those of you that don't know, one of the products that we do use is the product that was used to print the card, the badge that you have today. So when you registered and you got your badge, that was printed on a Zebra product. So just so everybody kind of has a reference of exactly what one of Zebra's products. You.
0: Cheers. P- thanks, Lewis. You're welcome. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk to you about then was, you know, what we, from talking to our customers a lot, we hear about these kind of cloud uh, myths. And the first one being that systems and networks running in the cloud can never go down. Uh, And that really just is not the case. I mean, anyone who who has been involved in software for any length of time just knows that's not, not what happens. But it is something that, you know, it does happen. Companies do think that, you know, we're in the cloud, we're good, we don't need to worry about all the things we used to worry about in the data center. The second thing is that the cloud provider is responsible for helping, for a business meeting its RTOs and RPO. And again, that's not even remotely close to true. Amazon does a great, a great job with the shared responsibility model where they let you know what they're responsible for, but ultimately it's up to you to manage your own RTOs and RPOs and your own SLOs. I mean, that's your business decision, but you're responsible for it. So expecting Amazon to do that is, is, is going to lead to, to failure. You know, and as Gartner said, it's the responsibility to the client regardless what the location, and that applies to whether it's on-premise or whether it's in the cloud. So, you know, some of the needs for a disaster recovery solution. User errors. I mean, people make errors all the time. It's a fact of life. Uh, everyone's incredibly busy, moving faster and faster, under more pressure to deliver with less resources. User errors happen all the time. That's just the way it is. You need to be prepared for them. Uh, operational mishaps is something that, you know, we see quite a lot, particularly as companies move to the, uh, the cloud from on-premise. So when you're on-premise, if you had a database solution that was on a server in your in your on-premise. If you had a, you know, RabbitMQ as an example, again, that was a server running on your premise. Uh, in the cloud, things are moving from servers to services. So you're getting this spread of more configuration to look after, more systems having to interact with each other, and then we're seeing more and more of these operational uh, bugs, you know, making a requirement for a DR solution. Uh, malicious and insider threat is something that is incredibly common. I mean, if anyone here who started a WordPress site on Amazon and just watch the logs in about 15 minutes, you'll start to see, you know, the hacking attempts coming in. It's unbelievable how quick you get discovered and uh, the issues that it causes. So, I mean, that's absolutely a fact of life. That's definitely gonna happen. Uh, but you also have insider threats as well. You know, and then there is times where you have to deal with, uh, you know, someone leaving perhaps, and, and you need to make sure that you have everything in place, that if someone with the right access did something uh, uh, that they shouldn't do, that you're able to recover from that. And, you know, we've, we've seen examples of, of that with large companies. And finally, site outages. You know, they're not very, very common, but they can happen, and you need to be prepared for them. And as we see more and more you know, natural disasters happening, earthquakes and, and fires and so on, you know, these are things that you need to think about. So some of the differences that we see then between your uh, strategies for on-premise versus cloud DR. Well, the challenge with on-premise is, you know, really the cost. You straight away have to absorb a massive cost, and this is the same for any uh, reason to move to the cloud. But really having the high cost of having all your servers there, if you have 500 servers needing to have the capacity for 500 for a DR scenario. And you know what that leads to happen is that because of that high upfront cost, you don't do all the things that you probably should do to make sure that you're uh, actually resilient. Uh, data growth we're seeing is you know—it's exponential. Everyone's gathering more and more data, we're producing more and more logs, holding on to more data to try and provide more value. And again, that adds to higher costs. Because of the higher costs and the challenges around the data center, then it becomes difficult to test and difficult to do a full, absolute real-world test where everything's the exact same from the live production environment to your backup site. If you look at the cloud version of that, because you don't have that upfront cost, I mean, Amazon has absorbed that cost for you. You have all the resources there. You can switch them on when you need to and switch them off when you don't. So not having that upfront cost means that you start to do testing more often. So we're seeing customers moving from testing every six months to hour every year to testing once a week. And when you start doing that, it changes your mindset. It opens up new opportunities. So customers who were using us for Dior then started using it for DevOps purposes or refreshing a stage environment with production data because it's that easy to do it. And because of the scalability of the infrastructure and platform as a service uh, uh, offerings from the likes of Amazon, it, it's, it's so easy to test without having an impact on your production environment. You can test in a brand new region. You know, so if you're operating in the US, pick a region someplace abroad and do your DR test there and have zero impact on your, on your production
1: setup. Oh, Lewis, I'll let you talk about uh, Zebras challenges. Sure. So as you guys can imagine, Zebras is a multi-billion dollar company. And like many other companies, multiple business units and each of the business units are moving as fast as they can, right? Most, most of us all know that timing to the market with new products and enhancements is critical to the business units. So for Zebra, there's many, many business units that are moving at light speed uh, across the whole business and across the whole organization. So just to give you guys kind of an idea of the size, we have roughly 35 AWS accounts. Uh, and inside those 35 AWS accounts, you call it around 500 VPCs and about 1,600 subnets. We also have a little over 800 instances across all of those. Um, some are concentrated in more accounts than others, uh, but it's a little over 800 instances in, in total. Uh, roughly around 200 databases, some RDS, some you know, databases, MySQL installed on the instances, with a total of about 1.6 petabytes, uh, petabytes excuse me, of data combined between volumes, S3, backups, snapshots, uh, and what have. So we faced many challenges when it came to finding a solution that we could use uh, across all of the business units. Um, we, when we needed something that could help us with our backups and our disaster recovery in a cloud. A lot of people go into the cloud, and they think, well, it's the cloud. I don't need to have a disaster recovery. And when in really, reality, you do need to have a disaster recovery because things do happen. So each business unit was kind of handling their own backups and their own DRs, all on their own. So everybody kind of was doing their own thing. and We really had no one central way of managing all that or really having visibility into all of that. So this was costing Zebra a lot of money, right? So you have to maintain all those backups. Each group is doing their own thing, and it kind of makes it a little more costly and a little less effective to have uh, backups and snapshots done that way. And then it comes to deleting the snapshots and AMIs, right? They get stale after a while, and I'm sure everybody knows that You go in, you create a snapshot, If you don't tag it right, you don't give it the right description, in six months you have no idea what that snapshot is really for. So as your environment starts to scale, it becomes more and more difficult to maintain those backups as they get older and older. So looking at the chart, you can see we have some backups that went back as far as 2012. Clearly, I'm sure if I asked the people that created those backups what they were for, they would have no idea what they were for. But then it becomes the mindset of the actual engineers, like, don't delete it, I might need that, right? And I'm sure everybody has seen that before, but in the end, it's actually costing us a lot of money to have all those backups, and it becomes more and more confusing. So as our, as our environment scaled, and we got more and more instances, more and more accounts, and we're, and we're still growing, you, you can see that it started scaling all everything, everything. All of our backups were getting more and more, and it was really starting to cost us a lot of money. So in total, we had over 50,000 snapshots, which was a lot. I think we had roughly 20,000 AMIs that were out there. So we had a lot of data out there, and most of it was stale and couldn't be used. You know, I'm sure everybody knows that as you make changes on the instances and you make changes to the application, those other, those other AMIs and snapshots, they're no longer good. So we really needed a way to make sure that we can maintain and manage our snapshots and our AMIs correctly. And the cost cost growth, excuse me, was about 85% year over year So we were really, really starting to see an increase in cost as we started to scale our environments So with 35 accounts, you can imagine, you have multiple SLAs Each business unit has a different SLA for each different mission critical application We needed a way to maintain our data privacy laws And it's very challenging when you have that many business units managing everything all on their own. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing, and it becomes very challenging to streamline a single process for something like this. And something like this is very critical to the business, right? DR is something that most companies don't want to pay for it until they actually have an outage. And then they ask, why didn't we have a DR solution? I'm sure a good portion of the people in this room have heard that before. So we needed a solid solution, something that we could use across all of the business accounts with a centralized tool. All right, why did we choose Druva? A couple of reasons why we chose Druva. We, we went with Cloud Ranger because we needed an, agent, an agentless solution. We need something that we could get up and running right away. Um, something that we could add to our new AWS account onboarding process. So we have a process in place, things that we do before we hand off the new account to the business unit. Um, everything is inside AWS organization, so we don't just allow people just to go out and create accounts all on their own. It, it, we have a specific process for that. So we needed something that we could, we could add to that process that would enhance our process as a whole as an organization. So we also wanted to make sure that with, we could eliminate the dependency on scripts and manual backups. Uh, most importantly, having a correct tagging strategy. So if business unit A goes out and creates an instance, we don't have to manually go in and modify a script so that that instance now is part of a backup job. We use a tagging solution so if somebody creates an instance and it goes into, into production, it immediately gets a part of the backup strategy that we have designated for that group. So we needed an enterprise tool, right? We needed something we could use across the whole organization. Something that had single sign-on capabilities, something that had role-based permissions, right? We're not looking to manage everything for everybody. The business units need to take ownership of some of the things that they do, but we wanted to give them the tools that they needed to eliminate scripts and manual, t- manual processes to really streamline everything in one place. More importantly, we need something with a click of a button, right? We wanted to be able to have DR, so if something failed, we could immediately create DR like that on the fly. Um, very, very important for, for a, a company our size. So we, we really wanted to be able to clone VPC environments. That was really kind of key for us. Um, and that's something that, one of the, that this tool does. So when it, when it came to choosing a tool, it really came down to customer first, right? We wanted a tool that we could go to the, the company and say, hey, this is what we need. This is what your tool does. They would take that information and actually turn it into enhancements on the product. And that's exactly what Cloud Ranger did for us. So DR, it's, it's kind of like life insurance, right? You don't really need it until you actually need it. And when you need it, you hope you have it because you need it. So like I said before, most companies, they don't want to pay for DR because it's so expensive. The cloud really provides a much better way to have a DR solution. With Cloud Ranger, we can automate a disaster recovery environment. We can take an environment that's in US East 1, and spin it up in US West 1 with a click of a button. Any changes that are made, we wanted to make sure that those changes would be applied so we didn't have to constantly manually update all of these processes. So we wanted to make sure if we added a route to a specific VPC in one, one, excuse me, in one region that the DR in another region would reflect that change. And that's something that Cloud Ranger has actually brought to the table. So we also wanted to make sure that if the engineers needed something, so if there's an issue in production, we wanted a way to be able to take that environment and recreate it in another environment, the click of a button, so that the engineers could hop onto that environment and find out what the problem was. Rather than giving access to guys into production, they go poking around, and sometimes you can create a bigger issue by allowing that to happen. So that was actually a very critical feature for us and Cloud Ranger had brought that to us. So why can DR fail? DR can fail for multiple reasons. Um, Probably the biggest one is that people don't test the DR solutions, right? People take backups, they take snapshots, and they don't test it. How many people in here take snapshots but don't actually test them on a reoccurring basis? All right, not that bad. And how many people actually legitimately do it on a monthly or six-month basis where they actually go in and recreate their entire disaster recovery environment? All right, not enough hands for sure, not enough hands. All right, so Cloud Ranger can provide that solution. One of the reasons is because people don't test things enough uh, and everybody falls into that. We're all moving a million miles an hour trying time to the market and things just slip by at the waist and unfortunately testing your DR solution is one of them. Um, Another one reason why they happen is you make a change in one environment and you don't update the other environment or you make a change in an environment, you know another change is coming down the pipe so you say I'll update the other environment when the other change comes down the pipe. But unfortunately if you have an outage in the middle of that change and you don't have it updated, you're gonna spend more time trying to figure out what that change was that you missed in order to fix the disaster recovery environment. So that's another reason why disaster recovery tends to fail. And you don't run your disaster recovery enough. You know, Everyone kind of showed their hands on how many people don't test it, but certainly not enough people showed a test of how, how often they do test. So Cloud Ranger gives you the ability to automate that, and that's a critical feature, right? So it's very expensive to test ER, right? So if If everybody in here runs a DR on there, not on their cloud environment, but their physical environment, right? You have to have the downtime for each group. Everyone's got to join meetings. You got to have a war room set up. You got to test everything. It's usually a week, if not two weeks long, and it takes everybody off of all the projects that they really should be focusing their time on. So having the ability to have something that could automate the testing of your DR automatically whenever you want and send you a report at the end of the day on what failed and what didn't fail is critical. And that's one of the reasons why we went with Cloud Ranger. So I'll hand that back to you. Yeah,
0: perfect. Yeah, thanks, Lewis. It's, it's an interesting story. and I'm, I'm actually wondering, for the badge printers, what was the uh, SLA for those? You know, what happens if they go down?
1: Uh, that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: a, lot, a lot of uh, unhappy uh, Amazon people standing in queues. Uh, okay, so you know, with, the, with the Cloud Ranger solution, what we've tried to do is encompass best practices as we see them from talking to customers around Dior. Uh, so it's entirely built for Amazon and it's built on Amazon. So that allows us to move at the speed Amazon moves at. Uh, Taking the approach that you don't need to have any infrastructure in place before you run a DR test or have those capabilities. Trying to make things as one click as possible. So the feedback we get consistently from all of our customers is ease of use is so important. The the challenges of the cloud and it growing so fast and becoming, you know, uh, it's so hard for people to keep control of what's actually happening with it having software that allows them to actually be in control of that is hugely important. And the last uh, item then is to base your DR plans on business SLAs. So actually having the business drive, the purpose of the DR plans, uh, you know, what, what are your RTOs and RPOs. Uh, from a Cloud Ranger perspective, we're, we're, you know, we're entirely serverless. So we've basically built everything from the ground up to be scalable, uh, global process. We use all of the, you know, uh, the key serverless products like Lambda, API Gateway, SQS, SNS. Uh, And the idea is that we then use a system that we built globally to reach into your Amazon account, uh, create backups for you, create retention, manage all that, but then also run your DR testing, copy your data across region, copy your VPCs, your subnets, uh, your root tables and everything inside that. So, you know, in the process of actually of creating a DR plan, there's the four, four kind of main parts of that. The first is identifying your environments. And that's what I said, is basically looking at, and we'll get into this in a bit more detail, but looking at your, uh, what actually makes up an application. You know, it's no longer just about servers. It's servers, it's the infrastructure, it's the security groups, uh, the route tables, and that's gonna start spreading more and more to other services inside Amazon. Then creating a, a DR plan, and, and deciding what your business SLAs are, so whether you test in the future, you can measure how successful you or not you were against those SLAs. Uh, scheduling, scheduling the plans automatically so actually scheduling tests to copy everything to another region, you know, going from US East to US West with your VPCs, your subnets making sure everything works correctly uh, and having a successful output that you can report to a, you know, a, a, an auditing function or compliance function in most companies who are making sure that you're, you're doing this right and then finally reporting on that you know, and having reporting that you can go to a C level and prove that you're, you're doing the work you have the ability to meet those SLAs and you have predictability Uh, so as I mentioned, the, the cloning of environments is, is key. Uh, what we saw with talking to customers was that it was more than just about data. Uh, there was you know, environments, and you probably see this yourself, environments grow organically over time. You know, the idea of infrastructure as code is fantastic. Uh, everyone would love to you know, meet that best practice, but the reality is you're busy, things get done on the fly. Uh, you add a security group to make something work because you know, someone was complaining about it. So you have all these challenges that your environments grow organically, But it's as key to your Dior plan as your servers are. Having your servers in another region, if you don't have the right security groups in place, effectively means your Dior does not work. So we've taken the approach of actually allowing you to clone your entire infrastructure. So you can pick a server, we'll gather the VPC information and everything below that, and create a CloudFormation template that you can then copy to a new region. And we handle the complexities of the differences between U.S. East and U.S. West, differences in AZs, but bring everything up the exact same in the new region to make sure it works for you. Uh, and, and this is something that uh, you know. Actually, having a, a physical output of a cloud formation template has proved really, really popular with our customers because they can then use it themselves. They can can actually take that as an artifact and I you know have that in a DR plan uh, to run elsewhere. I mean, this is something that you, you guys use a lot, Lewis, I mean, could you talk about
1: it? Yeah, So this is uh, an interesting topic. So. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering, well, if you have an environment with one subnet, how do you clone into another subnet? So so there are some things that you need to work details out internally for yourselves, you know, DNS, stuff like that, to make sure that your apps can come up properly. Um, And that is part of the strategy. I don't want to get too technical on that. But some of the critical features here for us was not only being able to clone something in the account, but be able to back that clone up into another account. So what Cloud Ranger provides is what they call the vault account. So if you have uh, your account set up in AWS organization and it's set up the best practices, you have your billing account, you have your security account, you have everything set up properly that way. But what do you do if an account gets compromised in in a a severe way? So let's just say you have a developer that's working in Git, he accidentally commits his keys into Git and he's got administrative access. Somebody scans Git, it's it's a public repo. They find those, they go into your environment and they start spinning up instances for Bitcoining, right? Now you got to shut everything down, so how do you recreate that when you don't even know what's compromising an account? And and I'm really using the most extreme case I could probably think of, but having the ability to say, okay, I'm going to take all of my VPCs and I'm going to convert them all into CloudFormation templates, and I'm going to take them, I'm going to put them in a secured S3 bucket in another account. So if something should happen in one of the other accounts, I have those CloudFormation templates in what we call the vault, where it's secured. You can also take backups from one environment or one account and have them transferred right into the other account and everything is managed as far as the keys are concerned and everything on the Cloud Ranger side. The only thing you have to worry about is when you create an instance and use the access keys, you need to upload those into another region if you have it from one region to another in order to be able to access those instances. There's very few pitfalls, but we're finding that this is a critical feature for us and, and probably for a lot of people. And I'm sure people haven't had an account compromised that level, but we all know that there that the there are bad actors out there and they're probing at our stuff all day long. So you need to take every necessary precaution to make sure that should something happen to you, you don't have the CEO or the CTO or the CIO breathing down your throat asking you why don't we have this secured somewhere? Cloud Ranger kind of provides that ability. So being able to clone something and take that template, change your IP scheme, uh, change a few route tables manually, and then save it is a critical feature to us.
0: Brett, okay, thank you. You're um, so you know, the next part then, is, as we talked about, was actually uh, creating uh, biz, your DR plans based on the SLOs that are required for your business. So your business is gonna have either internal or external um, SLOs, you know, what your RTOs need to be and what your RPOs need to be. And it's important to get these at the start. So you know, what Cloud Range will do is, is pick up the, the, the matching uh, backups for you to meet the, uh, the RTOs and RPOs that you picked uh, in whatever your new region is. But recording that at the start, it allows us then to check when we're running your tests, have you been successful? Did you meet the RTOs and RPOs that you wanted to meet? And then this is you know, the really important part for us, this is scheduling. So when you have your DR plan, you have your environment describing everything that you're going to run, you, you need to test this. And this is where we you know, think uh, the biggest value in, in this whole process is. Uh, testing, as we talked to customers, was being done you know, every six months, every year. Giving people the ability to do this every day or every hour or every week, I mean, every hour is a bit extreme. But we're seeing people actually doing this you know, every day. And what they get is, over a period of time, a really clear picture for how long this takes. You know, they might see on a Monday that it takes twice as long to copy data from one region to another, because everyone on Amazon is doing it. And these are things that you don't necessarily see. You know, there's fluctuations that happen that if you only do this once every six months, you're not going to get a good picture of. So being able to run these tests uh, and, and do this every day or every week then it it opens itself up. So what you get is, we know customers now doing this who are using it for DevOps processes or, like I said, refreshing a stage environment with production data. Um, And and doing this gives you the predictability. So you can see every day for the last month, on average, our our RPO was X and our RTO was Y. That's something that you guys use quite a lot, Lewis, that's important for you?
1: Yeah, so SLAs, RPOs and RTOs are kind of, to me, a moving object. So you may roll out a service or an application, and in the beginning, you have 10 customers using it. Five years later, you have thousands of customers using it. Now, all of a sudden, it's become a mission-critical application. Your SLA is going to change, right? Customer A may say, I want three nines. Customer B may say, well, I want four nines at the end, you're not gonna be able to service everybody separately. So you wind up setting your SLA to the customer that is the most needy, right? Because clearly the customer is always right. So the SLAs and the RPOs and the RPOs, they're constantly changing. So it's kind of critical to make sure that you maintain those and make sure that you have a product that you can set those RPOs and RPOs in inside the product so that you only have to set it in one place and forget it. So you know, that's something that Cloud Ranger definitely cool. provides. Thanks. <clears throat>
0: Uh, So the last part then, which we we started getting a lot of IT people asking for, was the reporting. Uh, More and more they're getting requests from legal departments, compliance departments or auditors asking for proof of what are you doing for your DR testing. Um, And and particularly when companies have to have full BC plans. uh, The individual components and applications having their uh, their own reportable DR plans where they can show for the last year, here's everything I've done, here's everything that's worked, uh, it's been successful 95% of the time. Here's the average amount of time it took. That gives them everything they need when interfacing with the likes of uh, senior leadership or uh, other people in the organization. So, you know, with uh, Cloud Ranger, you know, we cover a couple of areas. We do have a backup and disaster recovery, uh, a backup and recovery, which really is um, taking snapshots. You're managing those across region, managing those across accounts. Uh, the disaster recovery part, which gets into automated testing creating these disaster recovery plans and information governance so we've just launched two new features this week uh, legal hold accounts to allow you to corner off data from your amazon accounts for legal hold purposes uh, to make that an easy process for you and we've also launched the ability to do file searching across your snapshots so we can actually index your snapshots for you and give you an interface in cloud ranger to search for uh, search for your files and that becomes incredibly powerful with the likes of gdpr it's something we're seeing more and more where people. You know, uh, your, your snapshots, you may have thousands of them, I think 50,000 in the case that you had. So having the ability to search across your snapshots and find a particular file that may exist in, you know, 10,000 of those snapshots allows you to uh, at least understand what your exposure is for the likes of GDPR and governance. And we do this for EC2, RDS, Redshift, uh, and EBS, but we're adding more services all the time. Um, that's it, really. We're going to open up to the floor to some questions. Uh, I know people, some people had some questions uh, earlier on. And uh, yeah, it'd be great to get a sense for, for where you think you are with uh, DR and any, any questions people have. What I would add, yep. You said 5,000, uh, 50,000 snapshots, right? Yes. So, would that, uh, that's so that would be a question
1: for me. So the question is, why so many snapshots? Um, and because we didn't have a streamlined process, right? People were going in and creating snapshots using third-party tools, but the cleanup wasn't there, right? So the snapshot taking the snapshots is critical, but so is the cleanup. And unfortunately, when people are in a rush, they tend to create and they create the snapshots, but they don't clean them up. So talking snapshots, like AMI is totally separate. So the AMIs were a lot less. We had a lot less AMIs out there, but the snapshots there were a lot. So I think. I think as the groups were making changes, a lot of them were manual snapshots they were, they were capturing, and they just weren't cleaning up. So they had snapshots out there that they really didn't even know what they were for anymore. So... Uh, across 35 accounts, I probably couldn't answer that definitively for you. Um, uh, uh, some of them a day, maybe. Some of them more frequently than that. I couldn't give you a definitive because it's across 35 accounts, and to be honest with you, when, you, when you're talking about that kind of number, to kind of get the understanding of what they're doing. And some of them are automated. So some of them are being automated. So they were every six hours, they were taking snapshots, but they didn't have the cleanup process in place to say after two weeks or after a month, go through and delete everything. So. so, so when you talk about DR, right? Something that has to be 24 hours. Yep. Hour, so can't be like, I lost my data, two weeks, three weeks it's not DR. Right. So each, so, so the question is what is the retention policy on the snapshots that we take? And that's different across business units. So some business units have more critical and some don't. Um, some offer SLAs for some of their products that are very tight and some don't. So it, it's really based on all of them, but there's no reason to have anything more than two weeks, right? If you're, if you're gonna have a mission critical application and you have a 24 hour timing, you know, there's no need to have three weeks ago. The only reason you would have three weeks ago though is maybe if you were making a significant change or an enhancement to a feature and you wanted to keep those around so in case something went wrong, you could roll back easily. Because snapshots and AMIs can help with the rollback process as well. So,
0: sure. Can, can I say one thing actually as people are leaving? We do have a full freemium version of the product as well that's fully featured. So you can get in and try it and it's free forever to get this for up to 10 servers. So you can try the DR plan. Uh, you know, it's, it's there. Use it and give us feedback. Sorry, go ahead. Mm-hmm. So the the question is around whether you'd have multiple, your your DR plan in multiple places. Um, When we're talking about the testing, I mean the idea is that you you might uh, test your environment for an hour and then tear it back down again. So you're you're talking about a very limited cost as opposed to, and then it's, it's all on demand. So you're not paying for anything after that. Yeah, so we, I mean, we spent a lot of time writing out, writing out a very good code to do that. Um, but we can extract all that. Uh, it's all serverless, so we do it in Lambda, and it takes maybe half a second to generate your entire infrastructure as CloudFormation. Uh, now, there's some of the time it takes to run that then. You know, CloudFormation may take two or three minutes to execute, uh, but effectively, we have, we have that ability for you. Yeah, it's it, and there's a freemium version that you can sign up for free uh, to use for as long as you want. So you can get access to this functionality, the likes of file search and snapshots, uh, legal hold, that, that's all there for you to test. Uh, I was gonna say as well, we do have the Mountain from Game of Thrones, if anyone is a Game of Thrones fan. He's at our booth at 10.39, so you can come by and get a picture with him, uh, say hello. He's the biggest, most intimidating man I've ever seen. Uh, I'm not too tall myself, so uh, you know, uh, <coughs> it's certainly interesting standing beside him, but um, yeah, feel free to come by, uh, ask any more questions, and uh, that's, uh, that's it. Any, any other questions, by the way, anything, yeah? Sorry, okay, we'll, we'll get. Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. Oh, sure, so, so the question is around the different types of EC2 instances that you would use from your production to your, your test sites. At the moment, we basically do an exact copy, but we're adding functionality to effectively do a, a lower cost version. So we would make, effectively make everything, you know, a smaller instance or a half size of the one that is in production. Uh, at the moment, it's, it's an exact copy of the instance, so it will be the same in both places. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah, okay, yes.
0: You, uh, so, so they may not be available, uh, is what you're saying. Are you
1: referring to the pilot light theory where you have uh, an M5 XL in one region, your primary, and then you have a much smaller instance in your other region that you keep feeding data to?
0: Yes. So, so we, we, we constantly scan all regions for all instance types. Uh, we, we actually have a service that we published for free on, on GitHub, where you can extract a, a download of every instance type that's available. Uh, we need to use that ourselves. So what we do is we either match it exactly, or we try and p- pick the next best one. Um, you know, so again, we, we can't create instances, and, and it often happens that the instance type may be there, but it's not actually available to be used because Amazon have run out of those at a time. So. Yes, and, and that's one thing that you're gonna find out from testing as well, so this is why we, we stress that testing your DR plans is so important because if you are testing your DR plan, let's say uh, once a week, for example, or every day at least, you might see patterns as to when instance types run out. You know, let's say it's once every, every week on a Monday because someone else is doing a huge amount of work in a region, and we've, had, we've seen that before where particular instance types, the very large ones particularly uh, can run out in regions, especially in new regions. effectively we, we'll, we'll we'll try your best guess to get the closest type that we have. Uh, we usually stick inside the same class um so yeah we' we'll, we'll try and pick the best one in general it doesn't happen too much uh you know for the most part, most instances are going to be available in in all the regions, uh particularly the kind of size servers that we look at uh, you know if people are going for those very large servers um they it, it, you know we, we see le- less of those i suppose than the more general instance types that are available across all the regions sorry, I thank you to uh, question as well yeah. Yes? No, so it, it, it's all AWS. So yeah, we, yeah it's, it's all AWS. Sorry, so the, the question was about the CloudFormation templates that we create, uh, and it's to give you that artifact that you can run, but it's entirely AWS-based. Uh, we don't do anything on-prem. Uh, the, the Druva Phoenix product does, uh, where it allows you to manage virtual or physical servers and create AMIs in Amazon from those, uh, but the Cloud Ranger, uh, Druva Cloud Ranger product is, is purely a, a, an Amazon workload-based product.
1: So, so the question is, um, how do we centralize everything for the most part? Right? How do we centralize everything with so many business units? It's a long road. We're we're not even completely done with it. To be to be totally honest with you, it's an it's an ongoing process, right? So everybody kind of getting everybody to the table to centralize something when it's across that many business units is very challenging. So we did do a phased approach, and we are doing a phased approach where we're going to each business unit and asking questions. Do you have an SLA? Do you have an RPO? Do you have an RTO? We're using that data and then converting that into an actual SLA plan for each of the groups. At the same time, we came up with a tagging strategy that we're implementing, so we're not leaving it up to the business unit, we're implementing that tagging strategy. And then once the baseline, everything is done and we have everything in place, then we'll probably push back on them and say, hey, you need to maintain this and you need to t- take care of the tagging. So if you spin up an instance, you're gonna be responsible for that being a part of a backup strategy. And, and, and how it kind of works is like, so you, you, you take a snapshot, it goes in the region that, your instance is in, then you tell Cloud Ranger, okay, I want my DR to be in US West. It then moves an instance over there, a copy over there, so that when you clone your VPC to that region, it takes those snapshots and that's how it recreates it. So getting everybody to the table is very difficult to do. Very difficult. So, I just, so I'm, I'm actually with Zebra one year today, so today's my one-year anniversary. Um, I, w- I went straight in for the kill. We needed an enterprise solution. Everybody was kind of doing their own thing, and it just, upper management started to want to have visibility into this, and to be able to create reports and give visibility when everybody's doing their own thing is very, very challenging. So it didn't make sense to us to really just start thinking about native tools. Yeah, I, c- I probably could have wrote a PowerShell script that did all of it for me, but in the end, it would be that much harder if a new instance was added. It, it, so we just figured let's go with the enterprise solution because we are an enterprise organization. You know, we're a multi-billion dollar company. We didn't want to bother wasting time with something like that. And Cloud Rangers, you know, dollar for dollar is a really good solution.
0: Any other questions? So, we're, we're just starting the journey for those at the moment. The, the, the initial place we started was getting the VPCs and all of that, those components. But what we've done is, the, the way we've written it is, it can be easily expanded to other services. So, uh, testing at the moment, we probably, we could uh, add maybe, uh, I'd say 50 to 60% of other Amazon services uh, straight into it. Um, so, yeah, we, we do have the, the ability to do that. We're, we're just getting, you know, it's in development, so it'll be released probably in the next uh, next couple of months. But it's a really important point because more and more, it's about all the services at Amazon. It's not just your servers. So having having, a data, uh, sorry, having your server backed up, uh, no longer really counts for your DR plan. You have to do so much more. So it, it's a great point and it's something we hear over and over again. But we started with the network side uh, because at least you have to have your, uh, for someone coming from an on-premise world where they have servers, you need to have your network infrastructure in place to run uh, your service in your DR plan. So at the moment, we're just testing the success, but the, the approach we're taking here is, uh, and again, we're working with the likes of Lewis on this, is um, actually customers who may currently have tests in the likes of Lambda functions that, to test their environment. So what we need to do is then have the ability just to execute that Lambda function. So we currently do the connectivity tests, uh, but what we could do with this then is you could write any sort of functionality, and uh, what's important is that you could write any proprietary functionality that we wouldn't be able to see. All we need to be able to do is execute that Lambda function to, to, and get a success or fail response to tell us that the, your test is
1: actually run successfully. Um, yeah, go ahead, Lee. Yeah, I was going to build off that. So I, I come from a web ops background, so I'm used to managing applications. One of the challenges we had was if we were using a 10.10 subnet in the US East, now we spun something up in the other in the other environment that was different. The application couldn't speak to the backend database, so. Uh, Unfortunately, some people tend to use IP addresses instead of DNS, right, for apps speaking to databases. I'm sure most people are aware of that. So that's some of the challenges and the things that you need to work through as an organization on how you're properly going to manage that piece because, yeah, even though things get spun up instantly, there is still some manual work, right? Let's, let's, not, let's not mislead each other, right? In the end, you may have to go in and change the connection string from an app to a database, right? So uh, those are some of the challenges that we had. But again, if you're, you know, if you're really talking about timing of it, we did a three-tiered application with a separate bastion host, with uh, a two-tiered web architect with a SQL backend, and we were able to recreate it, I wanna say, in 15 minutes. So it was really, really fast, but the only problem was the connection didn't work because the IPs weren't the same. So that's something you have to work out throughout your organization, but to be able to recreate an entire environment that fast, uh, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty easy, so. It helps.
0: Yeah, and it's something we're working. We're you know constantly adding to that. So things like private IPs are copied across. Uh, there is challenges with public IPs, um, you know, because you, you can't have the same IP in both places. So if you if you have used public IPs in your application, then it can lead to challenges. Uh, that's that's true, right. But again, doing a test, will expose that immediately. Yep. Uh, no, we, we do it for you. So actually, uh, so the question was, do we actually generate the confirmation or is it something that you'd have already? Um, we we generate it all for you. So well, an interesting side effect when we first built this was companies started saying to us, can we just actually use this to retrospectively generate confirmation templates for our environments? Because they were growing organically, and, and the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, so what you can do is you basically go and hit clone, you pick the VPC you want, and if you're cloning from US East to US West, cloud formation template is going to have uh you know we, we'll map uh, let's say you're going from a five az um a five az region to one or three you know we, we keep the same ip ranges but we'll double up uh two of the subnets in, in two regions uh, to cater for that but effectively give you a cloud formation template that you know then you can you can use yeah you can go and download and actually having that physical artifact gives people a really uh i suppose a, a sense of security almost that they can look through it and read and see exactly what we're doing and run it at any stage themselves. I think, you know, Lewis, you use it for if you need to find a a bug in a production system, you can
1: recreate everything. We all all could think of millions of reasons why you would take a CloudFormation template from one environment and use it in another environment, right? So if you build out a complex environment and you're not using CloudFormation because nobody knows how to write CloudFormation templates, you could use CloudRanger to clone your development environment, take that, modify what you need as far as IP scheme is concerned, and then make a QA, a staging and a production environment out of that and simplify one, two, three and be done with it. So, those are some of the things that you could use it for, right? Because in the end, it's spitting out uh, just a template for you, and that template you can modify any way you want to your benefit and use that, you know, to upload into uh, CloudFormation and use it to recreate environments. But it, it, to go back to your original question, so if you're kind of com- familiar with CloudFormer and how CloudFormer works, where you can go in and it creates an instance, it scans your environment, and then you can pick and choose what you want, it's not exactly like that, but it's similar, where it automatically scans everything. So if you if you have a three tiered architecture and you're using one ACL and then tomorrow you say, I want to separate everything out because I don't want people to be able to communicate from the database, uh, the database tier to your web tier, right, but you only want it to come backwards, you could add another ACL in there and it'll pick it up and it'll fix it automatically for you. So it's, it's pretty intuitive as far as that's concerned. I believe that's a new feature you guys are rolling yeah,
0: out, Yeah, right? so that's, uh, yeah, we're, 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 we have a whole suite of features coming out from, from now until the end yeah. of the year. For that, was, that
1: was something that we kind of pushed. So we, we started working with Cloud Ranger in the beginning of the year. And uh, we we really put them to the test, I got to be honest with you. I mean, really put them to the test. And it was probably, I think we did probably six month evaluation with them where, I mean, we weren't working on it every day because we have other dependencies and other other things that we have to do. But we really made sure that before we said, okay, we're going to go, that this not only did they have what we needed today, but their roadmap could meet what we knew we were going to need in our roadmap. And one of the good things about them is that you can say, sit down with them and say, hey, could you do this, this, and this? And then next thing you know, it's in one of their, you know, it's in one of their scrums, and they're they're deploying it in, in you know one of their sprints. So, so it, it actually is a really good company to work with.
0: Uh, so the question is, any of the data stored in Druva systems? Um, with the Cloud Ranger product, no. Uh, we we uh, we basically manage your environment for you. We don't move any data outside of your environment. Uh, the only time that we might move data from one account to another is if you elect like to do that when you're doing a cross-account copy. So you're moving from one of your Amazon accounts to another one of your Amazon accounts. Outside of that, we don't, uh, we don't move data outside of your account. Um, the other Druva products, the likes of Druva Phoenix, which is a, a server backup product for uh, whether you're in, a, on, in cloud or you're on-premise, you know, that, that backs up data to the Druva cloud, so that product does, uh, but the Cloud Ranger product doesn't. It, it's, it leaves everything entirely in your environment.
1: Either it's, it's basically just to build on that it's basically like a third-party role you go and you create a role you give them access into your environment you slap a policy on it and then they have access to be able to recreate things but it's only within that account or if you actually have like we like we we're doing with a vault account where you may want to move stuff in the vault that's it but it doesn't it's in ours so we we have we have we use the aws organization structure so we have a gso account for our security team. We have the billing account, and we we're moving everything Into, it's actually going into the IT account. We have a default IT account that we use so that we have access To it, and that's where everything is going to go. Sorry about that. Anyone else? Questions?
0: Okay, so, mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. So uh, how, how do we do with concurrent snapshot limits? So uh, part of the, the architecture that we've designed and built over, over the last, you know, two years, um, is effectively to handle that. So we will wait a certain amount of time. We do um, exponential back-offs. Uh, in, but in general, um, if, if people are producing more snapshots than the current limit, uh, then we would advise them to modify the policies to make sure that they don't, they don't have that happen. It does happen sometimes to customers where they get overzealous and they'll have... You know lots of policies running at the at the same time um you know and they may have different uh, and they may have some other tool that's creating snapshots or especially if they're doing a side by side they have a script running that can happen uh, but it, we, we let the customer know immediately um you know they, they do get notifications either through slack or, or email where they can then you know take action on the snapshot policy and we help them through that yep yeah. good sure What is our own internal RPO? Is it? It is snapshot based. Yes.
1: So it's both. Uh, it's both. It's yeah. AMIs and snapshots. So you could do a weekly AMI and then build off that AMI and do daily snapshots if you want. Yeah, So
0: so the the question is about the uh, I suppose it's really true with the RPO of what, what we're creating, and that's going to come down to how much data you're you're moving. You know, if you're if you're moving 16 terabyte volumes across region, there's a there's a, you know that's going to force a particular RTO on you. Uh, you know, it, it takes a certain amount of time for that to happen. Okay. Mm-hmm. Again, it's, it's up to the customer to decide. So we have some customers that take snapshots every fifteen minutes. Uh, we have others that, you know, in, in general, that that's uh, I think the lowest we have is maybe ten minutes. Um, it's not hugely common. Uh, you know, the average is going to be somewhere between an hour and somewhere and, and, a, and a day. Uh, but we do have people going as low as, as ten minutes. And again it's going to depend on that that's it's up to the business really to decide what their own uh, SLAs are you know so the guy's taking them for every ten minutes um it's really important to get the very latest version of that snapshot um whereas you know most companies will probably go for from an hour to to a day think you had a question as well sorry could you read the question together mm-hmm So, so, we do that for you. Uh, we do that for you, but it's all in your account. You know, we never move the data out of your account, but we do uh, we do manage that process for you. We manage the copying across, make sure it's successful, retry it if, if it wasn't successful for some, some reason, like a network issue or something. Uh, and we constantly monitor that for, that for you and, and let you know what's happening with that. So, is it's gonna be cross-region or cross, cross-account. Um, yeah, but uh, t- typically, you know, m- most companies will do a cross-region copy of their data at least once a day to make sure that they have the ability to withstand a, a, uh, a DR scenario. Um, but that's, excuse me, that's, um, uh, it's, it's the, you know, it's again, it's up to you to decide what your, your SLOs are. And uh, then we just manage that for you once you decide. Yeah? Uh, if calls here, uh, okay. It's something that we're, we, we, we've been talk, uh, talking about. Uh, we have a number of customers that have asked about it. So uh, I'm sure you've been talking to the team. Yeah, probably. So um, uh, which company are you with? okay okay fantastic yeah so uh, absolutely No, it's, it's, it's something that we're, we're looking at um definitely happy to talk to you in a bit more detail about it uh so if you want to come by the booth afterwards and we can we can uh, you can talk to some of the guys there and it'd be great to get your feedback on uh you know and other things you'd like to see in the product as well yeah. uh, up, sure That, that's purely for it's purely for the interface. So uh, syncing doesn't affect anything that happens in the backend processing. Uh, when we're taking snapshots or deleting snapshots, doing any of that work for you, that's live all the time. Um, but to stop hitting limits on your account for API calls, we we don't do a sync all the time uh, because typically customers might only use the the actual interface, you know, once a once a day or once every two or three days. Um, so when you log in, it syncs automatically, uh, and we are, we have had the added the ability to do an automatic sync as well so at least you do get the uh, the information and that's going to be on a per customer basis to decide what frequency you want. Perfect. thank you. Yeah. AMI snapshot. I a little bit about it. other. you know what again it comes down to business cases so we, we see we see everything. Uh, we have some customers you know we we'll see customers who exclusively will only do AMIs because they they want they don't want to have the uh, the hassle of trying to you know, create snapshots and understand about them. They want to basically just uh, have an AMI that they know is going to be an exact copy. Um, But then again, you have data issues, right? So sometimes, uh, I think the most common scenario is customers will have uh, AMIs, let's say, once a week, uh, snapshots that they might take in a more frequent basis. Yeah, go ahead. In, in our account, so really just metadata about your about your environment, so things like your, you know, your instance names and IDs, uh, the kind of information that we need to be able to make calls into your environment to to do things for you. Uh, we never actually move actual data out. Never. Uh, that's that's, uh, for from a cloud Range perspective, that's a golden rule. Uh, it's up to you to decide if you want to move the data and where you want it to go to. Um, so that's definitely something that we don't uh, we don't do. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, you know, they, we've had a, <laughs> Lewis has asked uh, about this as well. It's, it's something that we've been asked for a few times. So, uh, we're exploring it, um, you know, and again, the idea of producing Terraform as opposed to CloudFormation. Uh, we went with CloudFormation first because, you know, being Amazon native and uh, we worked with Amazon uh, on that. Um, you know, for them, it was, it was the right thing to do. You know, Terraform is getting more and more popular as well, though. So, um, yeah, I mean, we're, 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 it's something we want to explore for sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, is, is Terraform something that you would use very frequently? Standardized. Standardized, Okay. Gotcha. okay. Yeah, absolutely. So look, we're, we're, it's something that we're looking at. Uh, it'd be great if you want to maybe come by the booth later and we can talk about it in more detail. Um, someone will definitely be able to help you with that. It, 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 it's in It's in the Venetian, sorry, uh, 10, 10.39, so. Uh, I'm conscious that we're, we're kind of at the end of the, the session. Is there any last question? All right, well, look, thank, thank you very much, guys. guys. I appreciate it. Appreciate time, thank you.